Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I'm Haley Oaks, midwife and host of Milk Trails Podcast. In each episode, I interview home birth and birth center mothers about their experiences preparing for and giving birth outside of the hospital. Sharing positive birth stories can help reduce fear and misunderstanding around childbirth while empowering and educating expectant families. Tune in to hear each episode on the Parents on Demand Network, as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, or visit our blog at midwifemilktrails.tumblr.com. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Doing It at Home. Thanks for being here. We have an awesome episode for you today. Really excited for you to hear it. Before that, as always, check out Parents On Demand. If you are not listening to the show in your Parents On Demand app, go download it on your Android or your Apple device, and you can listen there. Or go to parentsondemand.com, and you can learn about all the other awesome shows that are a part of our family network. And go to our website. Also, if you want to know how to engage with us further, how to support the show, keep it running, send us your thoughts, your feedback, your questions, you can go to diahpodcast.com and all of the ways to do all of those things like buy your doing it at home swag, donate to the show, leave us a review, connect with our social media accounts, all of that will be there as well as whatever platform you are listening to this episode. There are links for you. There are show notes that have, you know, a description of the episode as well as the links to anything that we mention, anything pertaining to our guests or things that we mention, you know, in the episode itself, that'll all be there for you as well. So make sure you check that out. Okay. Today's conversation is really cool. It's part birth story, part story sharing, part uh, some history of some really interesting, cool things that we've known about in the birth world and are excited to share with you. So we're chatting with Ash Luna. Ash is the founder of Fourth Trimester Bodies Project. So if you have not heard of that, you are going to know about it after this episode and you are going to want to just pour through the Instagram page as well as the website because it is such an amazing thing. So we get into that. She's also a photographer, which ties in with Fourth Trimester Bodies Project. Ash shares part of their incredible journey from initial interest and desire for home birth to experience with loss, trauma, grief, Ash really opens up about their world and gives perspective of life with their family, including their partner, Flowers, their children, Xavier, Nova, and Soul. 
And we learn about the experience with their second pregnancy involving twin-to-twin transfer syndrome, which resulted in the passing of baby Aurora and the 24-week, one-pound birth of baby Nova. And then we talk about the third birth in which Ash had a magical home birth for baby Soul. We also talk about non-binary parenting and gender as a spectrum. And, of course, the story behind Fourth Trimester Bodies Project and what an amazing community and following it has created. So, quick word from our sponsor, and then we will jump in with our conversation with Ash. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Hi, Ash. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. We are so thrilled that you are here hanging out, and we can tell that you are not alone. So we're excited to dig into your birth stories and learn more about you and just learn about all the awesome things you got going on. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Soul is uh, having a little bit of a nap snack right now. You might hear them chugging along. Perfect. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, Ash, will you just share a little bit about you and who you are and your family? Yeah. So my name is Ash. I am a photographer that lives in Chicago. Um, I have a big, beautiful blended family. So right now I live with my partner, Flowers, our eldest kiddo, Xavier, who is 13, uh, my surviving twin, Nova, who is six and a half, and our baby, Soul, who is now eight months old. So we uh, all live and work and exist together. Um, Yeah. That's beautiful. Yes. And uh, we were talking before we hit record here that, Ash, I've been a fan of yours for a while or a fan or an admirer and space holder for just all that you share in your personal journey as well as the work that you do and, and primarily through social media. You know, that's how I found you. And over time, I just I, sure. knew I wanted to have you in this space, you know, if you were open to it because it's it's so significant and I think it's so heart opening and mind expanding what you, what you share as far as your own personal experience and then what you offer up for other families and mothers and children. And uh, so it's just, it's very, very exciting to have you here. So I just wanted to thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel like I've always existed. You know, I say I'm a photographer, which kind of probably minimizes who I am and what I do. Um, I'm an artist and a storyteller, both in my, you know, my private work, um, as well as my public work through Fourth Trimester Bodies Project. And it's been really important for me as a, as a writer and as an artist to share my personal journey and connect with others as well. Mm. And social media provides a really, really awesome avenue to do that. It does. It does. And, you know, the two elements we kind of wanted to break down today in this conversation are the aspects of your personal story and then some of the work, the incredible work that you've been doing. So I wanted to start first, if you're ready and open to just share a little bit of your history as it relates to your family planning and birthing. And I understand that home birth has a thread within that and goes back to your first birth. So could you share a little bit of what brought home birth into your awareness? 
Yeah. Um, and that's a funny question. My partner and I were talking about home birth, home birth recently and Sol, our new baby is his first, is the first child that he has parented um, through pregnancy and infancy. And so, you know, he'll say, I've only known home birth because that's all, you know, we've been exposed to as a, as a couple. Um, and he asked, you know, where did that start for you? Why did you want to have a home birth with your first pregnancy? And the funny thing is, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't remember where and when my in my life, um, you know, home birth became something that I was aware of or I was interested in. Um, myself and my siblings were all born in hospital. Everybody in my family was. Um, I was the first of my friends to have a baby. So, you know, it wasn't even a thread amongst our friends. Um, I did undergo a doula training when I was very newly pregnant with Xavier, my eldest, um, actually so early, I didn't know I was pregnant um, when I was taking those classes. So we talked about home birth a lot and midwives and doula support, um, but I already had in my mind that I was going to do it that way. Um, we lived in Indiana at the time in a college town, um, not too far from Chicago. Um, but because of the legalities at the time, um, there weren't any practicing home birth midwives um, that were licensed. And so we ended up going with an old granny midwife who served the Amish community a couple of hours from where we lived. Um, and, you know, it was kind of just all I wanted to do. Um, he didn't end up being born at home. Xavier um, came at 28 weeks in hospital um, precipitous vaginal delivery. We still don't know why he was ready to come then. I was healthy. He was healthy. Um, the universe just just had other plans. Um, but yeah, he was my first home birth. And, and that pregnancy was amazing. Our midwife was amazing every step of the way. I had just seen her actually the day before I ended up going into labor with him. Um, but I wish I wish I knew where that seed was first planted with me because I can't I can't recall. But it's one of those things that I've always felt that birth itself, while it can be complicated and it can be challenging and it can have difficulties, my own story is a good example of that. Um, you know, I also believe birth to be a a very typical part of human development and something that is physiologically normal when it's uncomplicated and. Um, you know, therefore, I think that hospitals are kind of a, a strange place to have babies when you're having an otherwise um, healthy experience. So um, having the option to birth at home available. Um, and then, you know, finally, with my fourth babe conceiving, or um, sorry, with my fourth mm -hmm. babe finally succeeding at being able to deliver at home has been a really cool um, new chapter of my personal journey. Yeah, I imagine so to kind of, you know, bring it bring all the aspects, you know, all of the perspectives and all the different experiences and to culminate in that must be pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And so with the, the hospital in your first birth, was that any deterrent at all as you moved into your second in terms of looking at what your options were? Yeah, you know, it wasn't only because even though he came at 28 weeks, you know, again, there was nothing determined to be wrong with me physiologically. He didn't have an infection. You know, there was, there was nothing, no pregnancy complication that anybody could come across. Um, and there also wasn't any evidence to say that I had an incompetent cervix or, you know, some other medical diagnoses that would make, um, you know, caring to term or delivering at home um, difficult. So when I entered into my second pregnancy, um, 
home birth was an option. You know, I had already talked to all the doctors and kind of gotten the, the green light that what happened with Javi was probably just a fluke and we were good to go however we wanted to. Um, I consulted a bunch of different midwife practices early in my pregnancy, um, early in that second pregnancy and found a team that I was really, really into and things worked out really well with them. Um, they were home birth midwives, but did have some connections in the medical community that made testing and ultrasounds available if I wanted to, um, to utilize those. Um, we found out pretty early on though, or actually not that early on. Um, as I exited my first trimester, I started measuring really, really large for my dates, which I was pretty certain on. Um, and so my midwife being a little curious said, you know, you plan to do an ultrasound, um, the middle of your pregnancy anyway, why don't we go ahead and do that a little bit early and check dates and make sure that, you know, things are, are as they should be. Um, it's very possible with your second pregnancy that you're just growing bigger. Your body knows what to do. Right. So, um, but let's check things out. And we learned that that ultrasound, uh, going into it at 15 weeks. I thought I was 15 weeks along, but I was actually more like 17 weeks along. And I was pregnant with not one, but two babies. Um, so that was the shock of a lifetime and a huge, happy surprise for us then. Um, but it meant that I immediately risked out of my home birth midwife's care. Um, they were, were not um, comfortable delivering identical twins at home or supporting an identical twin pregnancy in that space. Um, that said, they were still really supportive. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you have twins, go away. Um, They were really awesome with, you know, the transition of care and giving me time and space to navigate that. Um, You know, I really didn't want to go with another midwife or an OB that was going to say, you're carrying twins, you need to deliver via cesarean as a default. Um, You know, I wanted to somebody that was going to support a pregnancy, um, you know, as as it dictated rather than, you know, by some arbitrary rules that they had. So we had time and space. Um, unfortunately for us, lightning kind of struck again and in um, the most difficult of ways. And about nine days after that first ultrasound, we had another um, having not yet found our, our next care providers um, and learned that my twins had stage four twin to twin trans twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Sorry, that can be a tongue twister. Um, Stage five TTTS means that one or both babies have already died. So we went from having perfectly healthy babies to being in absolute crisis mode in the span of nine days Um, and immediately had to seek the care of MSMs and, um, you know, high risk fetal care specialists. Mm. At the time, there were only about eight surgeons in the country um, who were qualified to perform an operation that they often use. Um, it's an intrauterine um, fetal ablation procedure um, where they sever vessel connections in your placenta, um, which is, is one of the primary ways to treat TTTS when it's in its advanced stages. Um, the other options for us at that point being to terminate the pregnancy altogether, to selectively terminate one of the twins in hopes that that would kind of right things for the surviving twin. Yeah. Um, so we chose to have the surgery and again, we're, you know, thrust into this very medical model of, of pregnancy. Um, and while we had what was initially deemed a successful surgery, my daughter Aurora passed away, um, the following day as a result of the procedure. And then Nova ended up arriving via emergency cesarean at just 24 weeks, 
um, weighing one pound because I picked up an E. coli infection during that surgery as well. Um, so it was a roller coaster to go from, you know, entering the second pregnancy, feeling really hopeful that we would have full term. And if for some reason things weren't going to be full term, that we'd know what to look for, we would catch things sooner to then find out we're having twins and that was changing the course of things, but still, you know, thinking really positively to, um, you know, having that pregnancy and so tragically and so early giving birth to, you know, a dead baby and a one pound living baby um, is just as horrifying and grief stricken as it sounds. Um, And the road to recovery for both of us was very long. My cesarean because of the infection had to be revised. which requires going under surgery without anesthesia, which was um, not fun. And um, then, you know, that wound had to heal open for weeks on end, which really impacted my body image um, in a lot of negative ways. And so dealing with that physical healing, plus the grief of losing a baby while fighting and advocating for another baby, um, was quite a journey. Nova developed a really profound brain bleed their first week of life, which is common amongst micro preemies. Um, but the brain bleed led, led to hydrocephalus, which was also really profound. And we were told that the best choice of care, the most humane option would be to take Nova off of life support and let them die. That wasn't an option for me, um, having just lost a baby and having felt like I hadn't fought hard enough for the both of them while they were in my belly because we didn't have time. Um, I knew that Nova did have time because we were already on full life supportive care. So we had the beauty of time. Um, So we fought and we called and um, I won't get into every detail of Nova's NICU journey, but we ultimately found a neurosurgeon who said that he would try. And when Nova was 94 days old, he performed Nova's second brain surgery, um, which was very successful. And uh, they had told us at that point to expect about another six months in hospital while Nova recovered and we made sure that everything stabilized and uh, the surgery placing their VP shunt was so successful that we actually came home six days later. Um, And Nova, yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. The only thing we were working on still was feeding. And I said, we're not staying here for that. (laughs) Train me how to feed this baby with the feeding tube and, and we will take them home. Um, we pulled the tube when Nova was home uh, after about 10 days and they nursed like a champ until their fourth birthday. Mm. Um, so Nova will live with disabilities and special needs for the rest of their life, but they just graduated kindergarten from a typical classroom and are at summer camp right now playing with their friends and uh, learning about being an artist and a performer. So, um, you know, there's some, some silver lining in that in that journey. But again, you know, um, from a person that wanted to have this, this happy home birth, that was quite, quite the departure. Um, and left me for a long time feeling like I never wanted to be pregnant again. Mm. I always wanted a large family, but, you know, having two long NICU journeys and two premature deliveries, um, going into another pregnancy just didn't seem like an option. Wow. Nova sounds like an incredible human. <laughs> absolutely no it absolutely is one of the things i appreciate sarah had mentioned earlier that um, you share a lot on your social media um i was on there earlier today and just seeing nova in all their light and it, it is so beautiful and uh the 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 stories that you tell and everything you share um is really 
incredible. So I'm grateful that I, I'm able to put、uh, a face to the name and and the story and the personality. Yeah, all of that. For sure. Yeah, like as I'm, as I'm <laughs> going to describe the story, this is beautiful. Yeah, that kiddo is nothing but personality. That is for sure. <laughs> yes. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic, and finding the perfect Mother's Day gift—it's not exactly a no-brainer until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame, so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get fifteen percent off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com/easy. That's s k y l i g h t c a l dot com/easy. Get fifteen percent off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com/easy. What were some? What have been some of the things that have assisted and supported you in healing? You know, healing being this this large spectrum from physical. Emotional, I'm sure you know everything in between. What have been some of the things that have been there for you? Yeah, really, you know that that aspect of advocacy and storytelling that I kind of opened with, sharing my story, connecting with other humans who have, you know, perhaps not been down the same road I have, but have had experiences in their own lives that have generated similar feelings.、Um, there's a lot of shame and stigma and violence that comes with. Losing a child,、um, I think particularly when you're rooted in more of a natural-minded, natural birth community. Sometimes folks that have experiences like mine are a little bit ostracized because people don't want to hear the stories of of things going the other way. Which, on one hand, I understand, right?、Um, everybody wants to have a happy ending, and particularly with first-time parents and first-time pregnant people,、um, it can be really important to focus on positive outcomes.、Um, Um, that said, you know, during our journey until we were diagnosed with TTTS, one thing that I, you know, to this day will say is, how did we not know? How did we not know this was a possibility? I didn't know this thing existed until it was too late for my family.、Um, why wasn't anybody talking about this? Why didn't anybody say, "Hey, Ash, I'm so happy for you. Just so you know,、um, you might want to read up on this thing that sometimes happens in these pregnancies."、Um, so I try to be. That person now that that shares my story openly and honestly,、um, not in a way that I hope others find scary or distasteful, but in a way that I hope is humanizing、um, and relatable.、Mm-hmm. And I hope to also offer hope along with that.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that said, my work that I do、um, completely shifted gears after my twins were born,、um, and that has brought with it a lot of healing. Being able to create art and hold space for other people's experiences and stories. And create a community surrounding stories like mine, but also celebrating stories that are seamless and beautiful,、um, and us all coming together. I think a lot of the the pregnancy and birth world can be a little segregated, right? Here's a natural parenting space. Here's a a space for folks that choose to to bottle feed or breastfeed, and and we put ourselves in these categories.、Um, and so, with my work, it's been really important to.、Um, 
to, to kind of disassemble all of that and say, this is a space where we all belong together. And our journeys don't have to be the same. Our experiences don't have to be the same, um, but we can still come together and support one another. Um, so that, I think, more than anything has allowed me to heal. And then, you know, having a, a positive rainbow baby pregnancy and birth experience that I never dreamed of um, has has added a whole new layer, um, you know, of growth. I hesitate to call it healing um, because I think that can minimize for some folks or or perhaps give the illusion that this baby erases that experience. I actually posted something on social about that very thing today. Um, but it but it has been healing and it's been another evolution of me being able to see myself as a as a whole human, as a healed human, um, and a parent to these these little people. Yeah. So could you share a a little bit about your third birth and, and at home and some of the some of the details around that? Yeah. So, you know, home birth was something still in the back of my mind, right? Um, things went wrong with my first pregnancy. He was born early. Things went really wrong with my second pregnancy. But none of those things were necessarily things that were wrong with my body, which was something I had to come to terms with, right? Like it wasn't that I didn't have a medical issue that caused these babies to come early. What happened with the twins is just a shitty thing that sometimes happens (laughs) with identical twins. Um, So, you know, as I said earlier, lightning had kind of struck twice in the worst of ways. Um, My partner and I didn't think um, when we met that we wanted to add any humans to our family. And then that changed. And, you know, once we decided that we wanted to have a baby, we're really lucky and I'm really grateful that that happened very intentionally and very seamlessly. Um, So was my first baby, my first pregnancy that was intentionally conceived. So that was really cool to, you know, have this timeline and and try to make a baby and have that work out. Um, We were very lucky in that way. Um, But there was a lot of grief and a lot of trauma triggers that, um, you know, happened in the course of that pregnancy and a lot of holding my breath. Um, It was beautiful and amazing and that I cherished every single day. And every milestone, I took a lot of photos. I shared a lot of what was going on. I, for the first time, had a very supportive partner who was walking along every step of the pregnancy with me, which was a whole new experience and really amazing as well. Um, And also had these two big kiddos who were really invested in the fact that we were having a baby and old enough to be aware and to be part of the process as well. Um, So we started things off very... um, all hands on deck. We were seeing midwives, um, hospital-based midwives mm. at a practice um, near us that was very supportive, but we were also consulting with MFMs because we just wanted to make sure that if anything was going wrong with myself or the baby, we could catch it before, um, hopefully, you know, and, and able to intervene before anything changed. Um, but everything was beautiful. We started progesterone shots and weekly ultrasounds um, and cervical checks around 16 weeks in the beginning out of, you know, what was deemed medical necessity. Um, as we progressed, you know, the techs and our doctors would start to say, do you want to, you know, maybe we could space these apart a little more. Um, I needed to see the baby every week. I needed to know that my cervix was just fine every week. Um, my friends and, and family started following along with my boring cervix updates on Instagram. I think we... 
I think we were the first to create that hashtag, which is hilarious to me now. Uh, (laughs) But things were beautiful. And then as I got into my first ever third trimester, which was a a huge celebration and was always kind of a running joke before that I was the person behind fourth trimester bodies project, but I had no idea what a third trimester was. I'd never had one. Um, As we entered this third trimester, I was kind of a, a sigh of relief. Um, all of the milestones of when things had gotten complicated or Aurora had died or Nova was born or when Xavier was born were behind us. And I was in totally uncharted territory, um, which was amazing and terrifying and exciting and really scary. Um, but again, I have the supportive partner that I was able to talk through with everything. <clears throat> Pardon me. And midwives who were really receptive for the most part and also just trusted myself as a human. And we started talking about having the baby at home. You know, if we get to 32 weeks, 34 weeks, 36 weeks, what would it look like to have this birth? Um, Simultaneously, though, our hospital midwives were really supportive of me um, attempting a VBAC. Again, you know, the twins were born via emergency cesarean because we needed to get them out, not because I was incapable of birthing them. Um, I was uh, the perfect candidate for having feedback. And so they were supportive, but there are a lot of hospital policies in there um, that dictated I needed to be monitored constantly or I needed to have ID running. And I was really worried about those things being re-traumatizing for me. We toured hospitals. We did what we could to kind of minimize that, but it was still scary. I was worried that, you know, if I go to the hospital in labor with this person, something is going to happen. Somebody's going to say something or I'm going to smell something and I'm going to get pushed back to a place that I don't want to be. Um, I'm a, a therapy lifer. So we talked about that in therapy and I still just felt like I don't want this experience. You know, I don't want to take the risks and everybody's healthy. I'm healthy. This baby is healthy. Can we just try? Um, And so we shifted gears. We started looking for a home birth midwife that would attend a primary VBAC delivery at home. We live in Chicago. So again, I naively thought that would be easy. It's not. Um, There's a lot of home birth midwives here that will, um, you know, help parents bring babies earthside at home if they've already had a VBAC, um, but not as a primary. And we found one amazing person who was the closest of all the midwives we had found. She lived about seven minutes away from us. And uh, we really hit it off with her, but we were also at this point, 34, 35 weeks pregnant. So it was kind of funny to be making introductions and getting to know a new care provider, thinking that this baby could arrive any day. Um, And we, you know, made a plan to, we officially break up with the hospital midwives. What if we need them? Um, You know, what happens here? So we kind of tiptoed around that as we saw, you know, both teams of care knowing that we hoped this baby would arrive at home. Um, And they did. I woke up, um, gosh, 39 weeks, two days. I woke up in the middle of the night about four in the morning and felt great, but just knew this baby is coming today. I wanted to be alone. Um, One of the main wishes I had for my birth, regardless of where it happened, was that it was an event between my partner and I um, because of my other births being emergencies and being in hospital. Um, I was very disempowered in those experiences. 
um, which is a person who really likes being in control of my body and my space, um, took a lot away from me while I know that those births happened the way that they needed to for everybody's safety. Um, it was hard to let go of that power and feel like my body was, was more of a, a tool or a vessel that other people were handling than something I was in control of. So I wanted to be in control with this birth and I wanted to be connected to my partner. Um, I had read some books. We never took any official. We did do a, a two hour coffee shop crash birth course with a dear friend of mine in Minneapolis um, when we were on tour there, but we didn't do any official, you know, labor classes. Um, I read some new books. I was really interested in hypnobirthing and self-hypnosis, um, thinking that that might help me be in a space where I was avoiding anything that could trigger past traumas. And I wanted to be alone when that labor started. So I ran a bath and put on a playlist that we love and lit some candles and, um, you know, just created a space that felt good. And around 6 a.m., I thought I should probably get my partner <laughs> should probably know what's going on but everybody else was still asleep he just sat with me for a couple of hours and then we realized we should probably let the midwives know that today is going to be this human's birthday and you know little by little one of the midwife assistants arrived and then one of the big kids woke up and then the other and people just kind of slowly layered themselves into the experience of joining us um, we made our way from our upstairs bathtub down to the birthing pool, um, which was excruciating. I didn't know that water would be the thing that I needed, but it was mentally, physically. Um, working through contractions was really funny. I The only thing I remember um, was thinking just ride the wave, which was funny because I used to surf and that was a surfing mantra that I used to say to myself to avoid getting anxious about you know what was happening and just let go and be in the moment. Um, so it was funny to me that that came back, just ride the wave and then the next one would come and I would be in that space again. Um, but it was the most peaceful, beautiful, amazing experience of my life. I don't recall being disconnected from my partner at all. Um, my midwife later joked that I puked the baby out, which I did. <laughs> when my when my body is in labor, I get to a point where that's all that's happening. And our doula kept a bowl with peppermint in my face. They tried to take the bowl away and I would freak out. But no, bring the bowl back. I need the bowl. Um, it was really hot. They had to keep putting cloths on my body. Um, and it was funny. These things were happening, right? I knew the people around me were, were doing things, were busy. Our, a friend came over to photograph the birth, and I kept hearing her camera click around the room, which would kind of let me place her for a moment. But then it would change. And, um, you know, it felt like a really long time. But that afternoon, just afternoon, actually, Soul was born. Um they got a little bit stuck at the shoulder as they were coming out, but so seamlessly, you know, somebody swooped in and helped me reposition the leg and out they came and everything felt so normal. There were these, you know, these couple of hurdles that happened that in another situation probably would have been deemed emergencies or, you know, points to intervene. And it wasn't, it was so normal. Our team was just like, Oh yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's put your leg this way. Um, you know, let's, let's turn this way. Let's get you a drink of water. Let's get you a bite of a sandwich. Um, 
and they were born in call, surrounded by our big kids. Um, Xavier hadn't wanted to be part of the birth at 13. He couldn't think about the baby at the end without thinking about sex, which was hilarious to us because he was like, oh, gross, it takes sex to make a baby. Ugh. <laughs> um, and then he was in Nova, our six-year-old, um, wanted to be part of everything. And we kept calling Nova our tiny doula because they were, you know, wanted to watch birth videos and wanted to learn about what was happening. Um, in the moment, the sounds that I was making were very visceral and scary to Nova. And Xavier was the one who was there. He was absolutely assisting our doula, holding my hand, helping out. Um, but they were both there as their sibling was born. My best friend, my partner's best friend um, from high school was our doula. Our birth team, for the most part, kind of sat in the corner and let us do our thing. Um, there was a moment when Soul was born when all of my fears came back. I didn't think that they were alive when they first came out of my body, um, which is hard to see. There's there's one photo where I look crushed. Um, it could be mistaken perhaps for joy or exhaustion or relief. I know in that moment I was, was feeling some really difficult things, but soul's face is like reaching up towards mine in a really reassuring way. That's, that's really magical to see. Um, and I said, is, is my baby breathing? And somebody said, yes, your baby's breathing. Um, and it all fell away. Years of grief and trauma and fear, um, just melted into what was this new experience with this new person and our family. Um, it was magic. It was so much magic. Um, there were rainbows all around the birthing room. Um, and from there, I just, you know, we can't get over how we're, we're a house where we don't use the word normal. When you have a kid with disabilities, you kind of eliminate that word from your vocabulary. But when we talk about this experience, that's what we keep saying. It was so normal. It was just a normal day. It just felt like a normal day that this person just arrived, but also haven't they always been here? Right. Um, I think particularly because they were born in the afternoon, it was like everybody got up and kind of did their morning stuff. And then, you know, we came together in the afternoon and then everybody ate and then we rested. And um, it probably wasn't until a couple of days later that it was like, you guys, <laughs> did this thing really just happen? Um, it, it was amazing. And our team could not have been, you know, the more, the more perfect, a more perfect team team or match for I think my partner and I and um he was amazing you know like I said earlier the only thing I wanted out of the experience regardless of the outcome was that my partner and I had the experience together um and that's exactly exactly what it was oh thank you so much for sharing all of that yeah yeah I hope I didn't share too much no I I mean I'm sure people you could always there could always be more right I'm sure there are the birth directors out there (laughs) listening who are like and what about this and what about this (laughs) um one thing I would like to touch on briefly because this is a we haven't talked about this on the show before and I would love for you to bring a little bit of perspective and education on non-binary parenting and just a little bit of what that is and why that works in your family and why that's, you know, something you're representing and incorporating into your, you know, how you're parenting. Yeah, sure. I appreciate you bringing that up. 
Um, so we have a big old queer family. Um, my partner is a cis man who identifies with he, him pronouns. Um, I, for most of my life, and particularly professionally, have identified and identified as a woman. Um, but I think that's always kind of been the assumption. Uh, as a as a person myself, I like to say that I'm gender noncommittal. I was a tomboy growing up, and that was acceptable. And then I became a a mother, and it was expected that I kind of fit in this box. I never really did. Um, so it hasn't been until my late 20s, early 30s that I've been able to say like. You know, I'm I'm pretty fluid, and I like to remain in that space. So please don't please don't assume things about me. Mm-hmm. Um, simultaneously, our experience in parenting Nova um, has really changed my perspective as a parent and a human on a lot of things. Um, when Nova was about three, um, Nova's assigned female at birth, and um, I parented them, you know, as as gender neutrally as possible. Right? We don't believe in gender roles and stereotypes as a family or politically. Um, but, you know, Nova had a vulva. And so we said she and girl and um, Nova has always preferred to dress and wear their hair in a more kind of androgynous way. So around three, four, when we started going to the playground and having conversations with other kiddos more, Nova started answering the question, are you a boy or a girl by saying, I'm a human or I'm Nova. Um, very confused by why other kids and sometimes adults wanted to make this designation about them. Yeah. Um, so we learned by Nova's lead and, and then kind of embraced what being non-binary means and spoke with Nova, you know, there's people that, that say they're non-binary and this is what that means to them that they don't feel like they're a boy or a girl, or they feel like they're both or some days they feel like one and some days the other, um, you know, help us understand how you feel. So we know how to, to talk to other people about you. Um, and, and that's who Nova is. Nova is a human. Nova's a Nova. At six, having gone through their first year of public school, even though we've been um, very well supported by their teachers and staff and, and our community as a whole, I think Nova was kind of pushed into more stereotypical experiences for the first time. And it's been interesting to see them navigate that. There are days now that Nova says, I'd like to be called she today. Um, Most days though, Nova still says, I'm a human, I'm a Nova. My pronouns are they, them. Um, So having had that experience, parenting a child and then getting pregnant again, Mm -hmm. um, it didn't feel right to assign a gender um, to this new human. So we had a lot of talks, my partner and I, about, you know, what that meant for this person and how we would refer to them um, within our family and then externally. Again, I, with my work and the sharing that I do online, I feel like I live a, a pretty public existence. And so we talked about what that meant, um, both within our family and, and as we interact with the world. And ultimately, we decided that assigning a gender to this baby um, didn't didn't feel right that we wanted to leave that open for them to experience and come into on their own. Um, if and when soul decides that they would like to commit to a binary gender or that they want to remain fluid or non-binary, um, we'll respect that. But we really wanted to leave that open to them. Um, the follow-up question I always get when I share the story is, you know, well, did you have to assign a sex at birth for a birth certificate and and things like that? And the answer is yes. Um, in Illinois right now, there is not an option for a third gender or not designating um, a sex at birth on birth certificates and that sort of thing. 
Um, so we made our best guess and we chose, you know, what, um, what we felt okay choosing on a document. Um, we do also live in a state that that can be changed at any time. Um, if still feels that they identify otherwise. And, and hopefully, I think there are 11 or 12 states now that do allow for third gender or non-binary selections on birth certificates and driver's license and that sort of thing. So um, hopefully they'll have that option as well as they need it. So um, in the past eight months, it has been an experience. People ask questions, but um, surprisingly little judgment has come from it. I would say the trickiest thing is my partner is a native Spanish speaker, um, which is a very gendered language. So uh, yeah. speaking about the baby in Spanish um, to friends and family members um, can sometimes be tricky, um, but that's offered a whole new opportunity of re-education and, and shifting our language and thinking again, which has been been really cool. So yeah, that's that's where we are with that. Wow. I, um, I've been, like I mentioned before, I was on your Instagram and I really appreciate the, um, what you have on there about pronouns. Yeah. The highlight. Yeah. The highlight that you have on your Instagram about pronouns. And uh, I was reading through that and, and that was really awesome to read. And you also link to an article, um, where you talk about non-binary parenting. So, uh, we'll put a link yeah. to that yeah. in our show notes, oh, but if yeah. anybody wants to check it out now, it's on ravishly.com. And uh, ravishly.com slash non-binary parenting. And um, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing everything you just did, you know, for, further educating Sarah and I, but then mm-hmm. also anybody who's listening who this might be the first time they've heard that um, that phrase non-binary parenting. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful for you. So if anyone wants more info, definitely go check out Ash's uh, Instagram account. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thank you. And in yeah, addition to all the other amazing things that you share and represent, we can't leave this conversation without mentioning fourth trimesters, uh, fourth trimester bodies project. And can you just share a little bit of what that is and also where that came up in your timeline, you know, of, of becoming a, a parent and all of that? Yeah. Um, so in a, in a nutshell, fourth trimester bodies project is a photo documentary and storytelling series for parents and postpartum people. Um, I should say featuring parents and postpartum people. It's for anybody who's like to, to follow along. And I often get messages from people who aren't parents who enjoy the project. So I don't want to leave those out. Um, but yeah, six years ago after my twins were born, as I mentioned previously, I was in a really horrible place with my body image and with kind of just my standing as a human, I felt like I had failed my my people in a lot of ways. Um, I now know that that's, you know, false narrative and I shouldn't think that way. Nobody should think that way, but it's where I was. Um, but I also didn't see any physical representation out there of bodies that look like mine with stretch marks and scars and extra skin. Six years ago, I, I feel like we've come a long way in the past six years, but the narrative still was very much that we needed to bounce back um, rather than evolve, which is what I think our bodies do when we choose to become parents. Um, and, and physically I couldn't, I couldn't see bodies. There was no archive of what these bodies look like. There was no archive of, of stories of sharing um, again, that weren't categorized in a very specific way. So I chose to change that at that point, I thought I would, you know, photograph 10 people, maybe 100 people was a dream. 
and we would publish a book or we would host a gallery show and then my work here would be done, um, which is hilarious to me now (laughs) because my work here is never done. Um, There are new parents born every day. Parents who, you know, people who are already parents have new experiences. Their, Their experiences in the world are nuanced and layered. Our bodies change um, continuously throughout our lives. They're evolving every single day from the moment we're born until the day that we die. Um, And so we need space for that. So our community exists to share stories of all people that are parents. When the project started, it was a lot of, you know, cis moms, um, you know, participating by themselves who had given birth a variety of ways. Um, we've since made a big push to include Black and Indigenous people, um, other people of color in the project, because representation amongst their birth experiences is lacking. Um, maternal mental health amongst people of color in our country is dismal. Um, so we talk about that a lot. Um, we also have made a space where trans and non-binary parents can talk about their experiences. Um Trans people showing their bodies um, is something that's very nuanced, right? Because they're people that have been um, marginalized and fetishized in a lot of ways. Um, But I've spoken with a lot of trans people who are parents now who say, you know, I always knew I wanted a family, but when I was a kid growing up, I didn't see any families anywhere, people that looked like me. Um, So sharing those stories and creating visibility there has been really important um, to me as well. So, we're six years in. I've worked with over 2,000 families all around the world. Um, and it's amazing, beautiful work um, that I don't think I'm ever going to step away from. I don't think our work here will ever be done. Um, so I'm traveling and touring continuously to to find new parents and new communities. Um, we hold workshops and photo shoots a few times every month. Um, Soul and my partner Flowers travel with me. And we just set up shop and hold space and share stories. And then all of those go onto our website and social media where others can follow along. I yeah. love it. We yeah, love don't it. step away from it. Don't stop ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And we're going to share links to basically everything we've talked about. Anything we've alluded to, you can trust that there will be a link to it in the show notes as well as Fourth Trimester Bodies Project and what your upcoming dates are as you announce those. And you're coming to Atlanta this fall and you'll be here the week of Maya's birthday. So I think that will be a beautiful way to commemorate that experience. So you can plan on seeing us in Atlanta. I'm looking forward to that. That will be amazing. Great. Ash, thank you so much. Thank your family and just, just for being a part of this, this journey and this story and, and as it continues, right. And as it continues to unfold. So I, you know, my intention through this conversation was to share this space with you, share your story, and then open up for others to join in and follow you like I have and to learn, to grow and to empower and be there for one another. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Ooh, 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 ooh. 
quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.